Who could imagine the things we just witnessed, that we were a part of it? All different ages, all different generations, but we got to be a part of that. That's God's grace in our lives. Thinking about this day, celebrating the past and committed to the future, Judy and I have been kind of reminiscing quite a bit. Do you know that we've been associated with Calvary Baptist Church for almost 39 years? Wow. We were here for the 40th celebration. We were here for the 50th celebration. And I remember, I remember looking up from where you're sitting, and uh, Jay DeBoer was here for the 40th, and Paul Tassel was here, Dr. Paul Tassel was here for the 50th. And I thought, boy, that's great. They got these older guys. <laughs> Historical. Thanks for inviting me. When we came in 1979, Lisa was nine months old. Brian wasn't even born yet. He was born over at Lila Hospital. I don't even think there's a Lila Hospital, is there? It's gone, yeah. And uh, listen, I want to thank you for loving and encouraging Lisa and Kevin. Thank you for doing that. Uh, Brian is out in the state of Wyoming, married to wife Shannon and uh, little boy Noah. Brian works for the Department of Corrections out there. He's a sergeant in that uh, department. Well, thinking about aging and all that kind of thing, it was not too long ago that I was asking Judy, I said, Judy, will you love me when I'm older and wrinkled and gray? And she said, I do. (laughs) Would you take your copy of God's Word and turn to Romans chapter 9 this morning? Romans chapter 9. While you're turning, let me just rehearse a few things with you. I know you probably know the book of Romans, but Romans 1, 2, and 3, Paul takes and he he looks at all different types of people in this world. He looks at the, I guess we might call him the pagan person, the heathen person. That person's guilty before God. Then he goes into chapter 2 and he looks at the, the moral person, the really good guy. The guy that pays his taxes. The guy that you want next door for your neighbor, because he's a really good guy but he's guilty before God. He even gets into the religious people. Ooh, ooh, he's getting close. He's starting to step on toes. And he's talking about religious people, and he says religious people that don't have a Savior, they're guilty before God. We move into chapter 4, and I'm glad the Bible doesn't end there. By the way, friends, I think maybe in our day and age sometimes we think, oh God, if you would just be just, If you would just show your righteousness in this generation, people would turn to you. Friend, do you realize that if God is just, just just, that's all that he is. And if he is just righteous, then none of us are saved. But God is merciful, and God is full of grace, and God has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That's the message for the past, and that's the message for the future. That's what we have in our Lord. He summed it up, Paul summed it up in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none that are righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God. We're just wandering around doing our own thing until God breaks into our life. And then by his mercy and grace, he brings us to himself and praise the Lord. We have eternal life with him right now. You've got it right now if you know the Savior. 
Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Chapter 5 goes through the wonderful blessings. Chapter 6 through 8 talks about sanctification. Let me skip ahead to chapter 8 because that's a well-loved portion of Scripture. A lot of people love Romans chapter 8. In fact, when I first came here, Pastor Henry Behrens was the pastor, and he always put that at the bottom of his letter, Romans 8. Tom puts Philippians 3. He put Romans chapter 8. Remember, Romans chapter 8 is that great freedom chapter. Freedom from condemnation. We don't have to be concerned about those things anymore. If you're in Christ, there is no condemnation. Freedom from debt to the flesh. Freedom from eternal suffering. Listen, eternal suffering. There is suffering in this life. But Paul was able to write to us, the suffering that we face in this life is not worthy to be compared to the glory that is in front of us. The glory of being with God himself. And then freedom from alienation from Christ. Listen, nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing can. So we move into Romans 9, dear friend, and there's a dramatic change in Paul's tone. He's going from the wondrous love and the salvation that comes through the Lord Jesus Christ into a very somber, sorrowful, grieving tone because of the blindness of Israel, his own people. The Jews did not see it. They're lost. And from all the families of the earth, God has chosen Israel. He showered them with love and mercy, not because they were good and not because they were righteous or not because they were godly, but because he loved them. That's all, that's all the Bible says. He loved them. It goes right along with John 3.16. We can be saved because God loves. God loves us. But... Even though he chose them, the Bible says in John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own did what? Received him not. They didn't come to him. They didn't flock to him. You see, this is the heartache of every generation, dear friend, that people have an opportunity to know God, but they walk away. They turn their back on God. That was the heartache in 1943 when this church was formed. There's a need Guess what? 75 years later, there's still a need. Look around us. Listen to the news. Watch what's going on. There's a desperate heart cry today. There's so many that are confused. There's so many that are conflicted. But God's word is still the truth. And God is still saving people. And God is still molding and shaping people more and more into the image of God. Follow as I read Romans chapter 9. I'd like to read the first five verses. I tell the truth in Christ, I am not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh... Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. And then go over to to chapter 10, verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Pastor, what time we got to be done here? 10.30ish. Okay, good. Paul's heart for people. 
Number one on the list, friend, is passion. Passion. Verses 1 and 2 in the Greek is one sentence. Paul loved long sentences, by the way. Run-on sentences. I mean, you go to the book of Ephesians, and he's got a prayer that's about 14 verses long. But this is one sentence, and Paul is basically proclaiming, this is how you know I'm telling the truth. Number one, because of my union with Christ. I'm in Christ. Friends, in Christ makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Are we perfect? No. Was Paul perfect? No. But we have the righteousness of Christ like a robe around us. Oh, the glory of God. There was no doubt that Paul was a changed man. Everyone could see that. Number two, he had a spirit-led conscience. Well, what might that look like? We don't have time to all turn back there, but Romans 8 and verse 5 says this, is when a person becomes a new creation in Christ, there's a a whole new relationship with God. Because in Romans 8, 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And that was evident in Paul's life. Question, is it evident in our life? We can say we're spiritual people. Is it evident? Does it show? Number three, he had deep feelings for Israel. And this is where it leads into this passion. And it was manifest in his passion, in his prayer, in his persistent preaching to the Jewish people. You know the, you know the accounts in the book of Acts. Paul would go all over that Roman Empire and he would preach the gospel. The first place he went, whenever he went to a city, was where? The synagogue. He, always went, to the, he went to his countrymen first because of his heart. These people should have seen the Lord. They should have recognized the Lord. One of these days, they're going to recognize the Lord. Paul had a desire. And, and friend, that verse 3, we read that verse. He said, I wish my, that I could be accursed. That, that is not a theological fact. That is a desire of the heart. And a desire of your heart is your passion. That's what Paul is saying. This is my passion. I have, I have a desire. I, I wish so much for my countrymen. By way of the Holy Spirit, he had just written Romans 8, 38 and 39, I can't lose my salvation. Is there anything that can separate me from the love of Christ? No. Height, depth, all those things that are listed in those verses, nothing can separate me from Christ. Paul just had written that. He knew he couldn't be accursed, but he had a passion for his people. It's reminiscent of Moses in the Old Testament. Remember, Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments. I mean, God himself was writing them out for him. While down below, the Hebrew children were making a golden calf. And Moses' own brother was part of it. When he came down off of that mountain, ooh boy, it, it was bad. God told him to. But Moses is going to fall on his face and plead for these rotten, sinful Israelites. He had a passion for them. In fact, Moses said this, Yet now, if you will for not forgive their sin, blot me out of your book which you have written. The very next verse, God comes and says to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, him I will blot out of my book. God's not going to blot us out of his book, but we need to have a passion, dear friend. We need to have a passion for the people that God has put in our path. 
First of all, we need to have a passion for God and then a passion for the people. Moses, back up there on Mount Sinai, Exodus 33, he would say to God, God, if you're not going to go with us, I don't want to go. I, I, I don't want to leave here. God said, I'll go with you. All right, good. That's the only way that we're going to make this thing work. Paul would say, the things that were gained to me, these things I've counted loss for Christ, yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them rubbish that I may gain what? Christ. That's a passion. Wasn't it Paul that wrote, if I preach if I don't preach the gospel, I have, uh, 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 woe is me. Woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He prayed for the folks in Thessalonica. I'm longing for you. I want the best for you. Not only the gospel of God we would give to you, but our own lives also. That's a passion. That's a passion for God and a passion for people. It's all the way through the Bible. Old Testament and New Testament, don't we read? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. That's the kind of passion that we're talking about. People have a passion for so many things today. Sports, shopping, money, things, power, position, prestige. I think everybody in this room probably has at least one passion. What about our passion for Christ? What about our passion for the lost around us? On this anniversary day, it's a good day to ask ourselves that question. As we look forward to the future, Lord, where is my heart? Where is my mind? Am I thinking about what you're thinking about? Well, passion leads to prayer. In Romans 10, verse 1, his heart's desire and his prayer. I'm going to quote a couple of really old guys here. John Bunyan, who was a Puritan way back in the day. But boy, they give some good quotes. Uh, These guys got some good things to say. He said this, You can do more than pray after you've prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. In other words, make prayer first. Make prayer a priority. Someone else has said, before I talk to a man about God, I need to talk with God about that man. Don't go cold turkey. You don't need to. Sometimes we talk about cold turkey calls. You know, I've never met this person, but I need to go and talk to them about the gospel. Talk to God first. Go to God first. How often did Moses pray for those rascally Israelites on his face before God, humbly begging God, God, spare them? What are all these nations going to think, God, if they don't make it to the promised land? And he prayed for them. He even prayed for those who persecuted him. Abraham prayed for Sodom and Gomorrah. Oh, what a prayer that was, wasn't it? Lord, if there's 50 righteous, will you spare the city? And then he started going down. Remember how it went down? I think Moses was awful brave. I mean, Abraham was awful brave in doing that. I probably would have stopped way, way sooner than that. But he kept right on praying. Samuel prayed over Israel. Jesus wept and prayed over the people of his day. And now Paul is following in that line. And I would ask us today, even as we looked at those pictures and reminisced this morning, how many parents, how many grandparents, how many Sunday school teachers and deacons and pastors have prayed over souls? Keep it up. Keep doing it. It's God that's going to save a person, not us, not our programs, not anything we can do. It's God that's going to do the work. We need to ask him. 
You know, God is looking for intercessors. Isaiah 59, 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and for his own righteousness it sustained him. Ezekiel talked about someone that would stand in the gap. There was a gap in the wall. And God found no man. Paul says, I want to stand in the gap. Can I challenge you? Stand in the gap for the Lord today. Stand in the gap for your family. Stand in the gap for your neighbors. Stand in the gap for Battle Creek. We need people to intercede to God on behalf of people. Paul wrote, pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And I don't think he was just getting enough words in there to, to have you know the, the proper word count for the epistle. No. No, he meant it. There, there was a message there. Wow. In, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he said, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Undoubtedly, you've, you've read some of Paul's letters. In almost every letter, he prays for the people. And you know what? He doesn't pray about hangnails and any other little mamby-pamby stuff. He prays about the big things. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to grow in your spiritual life. And he prays some weighty prayers. We need to be praying that way. Could I, could I say this? Thank you for praying Thank you for praying for your pastors. Thank you for praying for your boards. Thank you for praying for the Sunday school teachers and all the other children's workers, ministry leaders. Thank you for praying. Please don't give up. There, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of places and a lot of people that are thinking, oh, you know, the prayer thing, that's not quite as important anymore. Friends, it is vital. Why? Because God said so. God said so. Thank you for praying. Passion, prayer, and then privilege. Nine, chapter 9, verses 4 and 5 talk about all the privileges that Israel had. And friends, those privileges was the glory of Israel. Again, God didn't choose them because they were good looking or they could really march well in the desert. No, He chose them because He loved them. That's the reason that's given. Notice this list, and I'm going to go down through it rather quickly. It says, first of all, who are Israelites. Do you remember where that name came from? Where'd the name Israel come from? That's right. I didn't hear it yet, but... Um, <laughs> it came from God. God gave it to a fellow named Jacob. They had a wrestling match down by a little creek one day, or one evening, I should say, and they wrestled all night. And it was Jacob that said, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. And God gave him the name Israel, one that contends with God, one that has power with God, one who is a prince with God. And Israel has carried that name. They carry it today. Dear Christian, you have a name. It comes from God. It comes from the Lord himself. We have the privilege of being called Christians to, to know Christ and to be known by him. I know that the world doesn't think much of it today. So what? Live for the Lord. That's your name. That's your title. Do you know what was said of the Jews in Matthew chapter 15? Jesus saying these words, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Let that not be said of the church. 
Let it not be said of the church that they profess to know God, but in works they deny him being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Let us be the church of James 1 and verse 22, to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We, you know, you, you can gather here on a Sunday morning and be deceived. Oh boy, we're doing really wonderful. Look, look I mean, it looks so good today and everything's going so well today. What is going on in the heart? What's going on in the spirit? What's happening in the life of the church? It goes on to say not only who are Israelites, but to whom pertain the adoption. Israel had the unique privilege of being adopted by Jehovah God. When Moses went into Pharaoh and asked Pharaoh to release the Israelites, the Hebrew children, he said, let them go because they are my son. It's my son. Do you know that you are called by God? You've been adopted by God. John 1.12. If you believe on him, he gives you the privilege or the power to become the sons or the daughters of God. That's adoption. Adoption by God. It goes on to say the glory. And I believe they were talking about the Shekinah glory, the brightness of God, God's visible token of his divine presence. Remember in the Old Testament, it was that pillar of cloud or that pillar of fire that led the the people wherever they went. And if it stayed still, you better stay still. By the way, have you ever thought if you were just one of the neighboring tribes that lived around that area and you came up over the sand dune one day and you looked out there at this great host of Hebrew children and right above the middle of the camp, there's this great big pillar of fire. Do you think you'd rush right down there and attack? I don't think so. I don't think God had his hand on his people. And friend, you're part of God's people. God's got his hand on you. But with that privilege comes responsibility. That's one thing my parents always taught me. If you get a privilege, now you got a responsibility. You get the car keys, you got a responsibility. Not only take care of that thing, but you better fill it up with gas. All right? God has given us a privilege, and the responsibilities are really easy because he's the one that gives us the power to accomplish everything. The glory that God gives to us is coming from the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For it is God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Have you met Jesus Christ, dear friend? Then you've seen his glory. And you know what? Have you seen his glory? Jesus said to us, Let your light so shine before men that they may glorify your Father. They want to see it and glorify your Father who's in heaven. Let's move on to the covenants. A covenant is agreement made between two parties, a contract drawn up. In God's covenants, He takes the initiative. And in fact, in God's covenants, He provides everything that needs to be provided. He plans salvation. He provided a Savior. He's the one that does the calling. All we need to do is what? Believe. We just got to believe. And he saves us. He saves us. Wow, there's a new covenant, dear friend, in Christ's blood for believers. The giving of the law. And we're not talking just the Ten Commandments, but all the law of God, all the will of God. God has given us his word. This book right here, friend, is more precious than anything else you can have. 
Pastors have libraries, you know, they keep adding to their libraries, and now we got electronic things on our computers and everything. The most valuable thing a pastor has is his book. The word here is powerful unto salvation. We need this book. We have the service of God. It goes on to say the service of God. God gave Israel the privilege of true worship and service. Friend, you have the opportunity and the privilege of true worship and service. We worship him in spirit and in truth. And then there's the promises. And we're going kind of fast here, but I think you realize that what we have here, out of all of these privileges, out of all of those promises, what we have is a responsibility toward our Lord. It finishes up with, of whom are the fathers? And I think this is applicable to today. All the patriarchs, all their heritage, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they mean so much to Israel. This morning we saw pictures up on that screen of our heritage as Calvary Baptist Church. Boy, I mean, there was a couple flashbacks. I love seeing Don look so young. Don likes seeing Don look so young. Julie liked... Oh, okay. That's a heritage. But guess what? You're a heritage today. May all who come behind us find us faithful. Moreover, it is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. That's what God calls us to. Oh, the patriarchs of Calvary Baptist Church. And I shouldn't say just the patriarchs, the matriarchs. You saw a lot of those up there too. And a lot of them are sitting in this auditorium. Ladies, I thank God for you. Men, I thank God for you. And from those patriarchs came the Lord Jesus Christ, the most glorious privilege of the Jews and the greatest blessing upon the earth. Christ is overall an eternally blessed God. If Christ has come into your life, you need to move. Well, isn't that the pastor's job? It's part of the pastor's job, but it's your job too. Are you... If you're a believer this morning, you live in this area, are you a member of this church? Have you been baptized? Have you become a member? Are you involved in the work of Calvary Baptist Church? Let me encourage you. Get involved. Get involved. There's a work to do. There's a world, a lost and dying world, that needs the light that you can provide. And some places only you can get there. Pastor can't even go there. But you can. And you need to provide that light. God was at work long before 1943, but everything came together in that year, in this town, so that Calvary started. And God has placed you here today for a work to do. 75 years later, let's have God's passion. Let's be God-directed in our prayers. And let's remember our privilege to be able to serve Him. Would you bow your head We're going to close the Sunday school hour. Steve Fry wrote these words. Let it be said of us that the Lord was our passion, 
that with gladness we bore every cross we were given that we fought the good fight that we finish the course knowing within us the power of the risen lord let the cross be our glory and the lord be our song by mercy made holy by the spirit made strong let the cross be our glory and the lord be our song till the likeness of jesus be through us made known let the cross be our glory and the lord be our song let it be said of us we were marked by forgiveness we were known by our love and delighted in meekness we were ruled by his peace heeding unity's call joined as one body that christ would be seen by all let the cross be our glory and the lord be our song by mercy made holy by the spirit made strong let the cross be our glory and the lord be our song till the likeness of jesus be through us made known let the cross be our glory and the lord be our song